You ever feel like that in your Christian life? Like the disciples there that day with Jesus, kind of just standing, looking up into heaven, wondering, when are you going to come down and act? Where are you, God? I don't see you in the world around me. Are you really there? You were hoping for the light. You were looking for the sun. And all you got was rain and rain and more rain. You were hoping for something good in this world, but as you went out and searched, all you found was pain. Maybe even in the church, your experience has been shaky. We call ourselves the body of Christ, but there's a lot of people in the world who have experienced anything but Christ-like behavior in their experience of the church. Uh, There's an author, uh, his name's Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew, and in it he wrote this. He said, when I glance around me at the church he left behind, I want to avert my eyes. Like the disciples' eyes, mine ache for a pure glimpse of the one who ascended. Why, I ask again, did he have to leave? But is that what happened on Ascension Day? Did Jesus just leave the world, depart from it, abandon it until the day he would come back again? Well, here at St. Peter and Paul Lutheran Church, we've been working through a sermon series called Surprised by Hope, uh, based on a book by the same title. And as we've gone along, we've been building the case that God has not abandoned His creation, that He has not departed and, and left it and condemned it to kind of burn and be destroyed so that He could start again from scratch, but instead that God is actually acting in the world, working to restore and redeem all things. And so, our goal as Christians is not just to die and to go to heaven. That's not our ultimate hope. But instead, looking to the resurrection of Jesus, we look for ways that we can recreate the world now. That we can bring about and be co-participants in the the restoration of all things. uh, To recreate the world as God intended. What about the ascension? I mean, if our ultimate hope isn't the ascension, to ascend into the heavens like Jesus, then why did Jesus at the end of his life ascend into heaven? We confess it every Sunday, right? He ascended into heaven. What was that all about? Well, in this series, we've done a lot of work as well to try and reimagine our idea of what heaven is. Uh, Because maybe for a long time, you, like I, have imagined heaven as some other place of existence, totally disconnected from this one. Uh, Maybe you imagined that it was another reality that one day we would leave this world and go to. But as we saw last week, heaven is not so much a place as it is a presence, as it is a person. Right? Heaven is the personal presence of God Himself. 
And so in the Garden of Eden, things were paradise, right? Because heaven was with earth. God was dwelling with Adam and Eve. This is why King David can write, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Because in the time of David, the temple, the courts of the Lord, was where God manifested His personal presence. You remember that? When they dedicated the temple, God's fiery presence, His Shekinah glory, it came down and it inhabited the temple. That's where God came to meet with the people. Which is why it's a little ridiculous that in 1961, uh, the first guy to ever go to outer space, uh, his name was Yuri, Yuri uh, Gagarin. When he got into outer space, uh, he he remarked uh, this. He said, I looked and I looked, but I didn't find God. We lost the space race to the Russians. That was a sad day for America. We beat them to the moon, obviously. But this is a ridiculous premise to think that you would find God by going to outer space. As if God was contained within his creation. As if when we, when we talk about God being in the heavens, we meant that He was just up there spatially. If you went high enough, you could find Him. But God doesn't relate to this world like that, right? God is the, he's the creator of this creation. He doesn't exist within the confines of time and space. Instead, God relates to this world more like uh, a, a playwright relates to the world they create, right? Would you expect Romeo and Juliet to bump into Shakespeare as you're reading the play? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. The only way the characters in a play could relate to the, to the creator of that play is if the creator wrote himself in to the story. And that's exactly what God did. God wrote himself into his own story when Jesus came to earth. Which is why in the ministry and in the life of Jesus, we see things returning to the way God always intended. I think about everywhere that Jesus went. Sicknesses swept away. Right, The lame were healed and the blind could see. Their, their bodies were restored. Think about the people he encountered. In the garden, when things were perfect, when heaven was on earth, God dwelt with man, and man dwelt with one another perfectly in community. In Jesus' day, everywhere he went, people were brought into community. Even those who were kind of forgotten and pushed aside on the fringes of the world, you know, the, the, the lepers and the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people that that the world found pretty morally corrupt, bankrupt. Jesus, he looked at them with the same dignity that they were created with. He restored them to community and said, come, follow me. Be a part of this movement. Jesus was realigning creation with its originally intended purposes. Which is why we can relate to the disciples' sadness, I think, as they watch Jesus disappear into the clouds. Right there goes the one, the one who was making all things good. 
We want just a taste of that in our lives, do we not? In that relationship that's fractured because of something we said that we now regret or, or maybe something was said or done to us that pierced us to our core and we don't know how we could ever forgive that person. Don't we long for Jesus' mending touch? Or when we look out to the world, to the community at large, and we see the absence of conversation, there's no more dialogue anymore. Instead, it's just the, the, the vitriolic exchange of opinions where we can't agree or even have a conversation because as soon as you say you belong to that camp or that party, you're my enemy. People are slandered and cut down. Or we're so busy and hurried with our lives that we can't even see the people who are neglected in our world today, those who are on the margins of society, holding up a sign or, or maybe a thumb asking for help. Don't we long to hear Jesus' voice, His inviting voice? To, to see Jesus' steady gaze to those who, who never get looked at, who get overlooked. See Jesus look at them. Remind them of their dignity. See Jesus look even at us. His steady gaze fixed upon our eyes, raising our chins back up to the dignity that we have. Don't we pine for that with our eyes fixed above, wondering, when? When, Lord? Well, thank God for those messengers that day, the two men in white, standing there and, and gently rebuking the disciples, right? Why? Why do you stand there looking up into heaven? Why do you imagine that Jesus is gone, that He is absent from you? Why do you do fear that He is distant? I think a lot of times we're like Mary Magdalene in the garden with Jesus, right? We want to cling to Him, or we think if we could touch Him, if we could see Him, then maybe our faith would be bolstered. Do you remember what Jesus said to Mary in the garden? It's in John chapter 20. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I'm ascending to my Father. Mary, don't cling to me because I have something better for you. My ascension. Go tell the rest of the guys. Tell them that I am ascending to, to God, my Father, and their Father. The, the ascension of Jesus isn't the absence of his presence, it's actually something greater than His presence. It's a, it's a heightening of the power of His personal presence. Uh, earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus said this, and it's always bugged me. He said, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Now, that bugs me because Jesus was saying that to His followers, and I like to think that I'm a follower of Jesus. When I think about the works of Jesus, 
and doing something greater than them. I've always been stumped by this. I mean, I don't think the church has a great track record of healing the lame and the blind or, I mean, gosh, Jesus raised the dead after all. Are we supposed to outperform Jesus in that? This isn't a demand that Jesus is making of his followers to do something better than he did. Jesus is telling us this is the promise of what will happen as his ministry expands through his followers. Not that we're going to do more uh, qualitatively greater miracles, but in quantity. The things that Jesus, he himself did, are now going to be done but by all of his followers, right? This is actually the language that Luke uses at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, Luke says, uh, Theophilus, in my gospel, I told you all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that he began to do and teach, what's the implication? Jesus is still going to be doing and teaching. But right after that, Jesus ascends into heaven. How is Jesus supposed to be doing and teaching if he's no longer here on this earth, right? We finish this phrase, this cryptic phrase of Jesus. This is how. Jesus says, because I'm ascending to my Father. Now think about this. Imagine an architect designed an amazing home. Beautiful home, uh, right on the canal, great view. And no one ever lived in it. It'd be pointless. Or imagine if you slaved away in the kitchen preparing the best food you knew how to make, right? Put in all the ingredients. It's everyone's favorite. They're all, uh, you're, you're thinking of them as you create it, but then no one comes for dinner. No one eats the food. It'd be, that's ridiculous. Why would we do that? Or imagine a bomb that was designed, a beautifully designed bomb that could blow through a mountain so that a road could travel through it. But there was no detonator for the bomb. It'd be pointless. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are pointless without the resurrection, or without the ascension, excuse me. The ascension of Jesus is the detonator for his ministry. And, and when the, the disciples see Jesus go away, they don't get it. And I think that many times we don't either. We're kind of, they're just sad, like, Jesus, you need to come back. No, 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 no. Acts gives us one picture of the disciples standing there, kind of bereft, sad, you know. But eventually that detonator goes off. Because the end of Luke, the end of his gospel, tells us a very different picture. It says that the, the disciples went back and they worshipped Jesus. And they went back to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Why? Because they realized the power of the ascension, that Jesus was going to make his presence even more personal than it was when he was on the earth by giving us his own spirit, by delivering the Holy Spirit, Jesus' spirit, uh, what was referred to as power in Acts chapter 1. This is what Jesus was giving to us in his ascension. The, the Holy Spirit has come to expand the ministry of Jesus to all of us. You will do greater works than these. 
Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? No. No, you, you will be my witnesses. I quoted Philip Yancey at the beginning of this sermon. He writes in the same chapter on the ascension, the law and the prophets had focused like a beam of light on the one who was to come. And now that light, as if hitting a prism, would fracture and shoot out in a human spectrum of waves and colors. Jesus ascended into heaven. Right? That doesn't mean just that Jesus went up spatially, right, into the sky. Listen, yesterday, if I would have uh, raced Prince Charles, you know, over at his coronation to the throne, if I would have sprinted ahead of him and sat in the throne seat, would I have been the leader of England currently? Probably not. I don't think they would recognize me as their leader. But technically, I would have ascended, right? I would have gone up the stairs to the throne. The ascension of Jesus tells us that He is the rightful leader of this world, of His creation. And more than that, He's not just the rightful guy, that He is actually sitting upon that throne. He is governing this world. As Romans 5 put it, in the language of sin and death in life, the story of this earth is that sin used to reign. Sin had the power the authority. Death had the authority in this world until Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, He began His reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. This means that the world is under new management. No longer do the powers of sin, death, and the devil have that ultimate authority. That belongs to Jesus. And you've tasted that, haven't you? The freedom that Jesus brings to us in His Word. The release. Whatever sin is weighing you down, plaguing you right now in your life, making you feel low, making you feel undeserving, Jesus has paid for that. It's off your back. Take it off your back. Stand upright. Chin up. You're forgiven. Whichever force of the world is making you feel powerless or insignificant, maybe on the margins, Jesus has come to say, no, it's not just me who reigns, but you're going to reign with me. I have given you my power, my authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go and proclaim it. Who do you know is crippled underneath the weight of some past situation in their life that just won't leave them alone? They can't get out from under it. It plagues them. It erodes how they feel, how they act. They feel like they are not worthy. You have been released by Jesus to go and proclaim to them this kingdom reality that they are forgiven. They are set free. But the world is under new management. And maybe you're the one that feels broken because of a relationship. 
Maybe you feel like God departed from you a long time ago. There's no way He could use someone like you. The Apostle Paul was a tyrant, right? He murdered people in the church, and God used him. St. Augustine, St. Augustine uh, said, You ascended from before our eyes, and we turned back grieving, only to find you in our hearts. It's a beautiful line by St. Augustine, but you know what his past history was? Augustine was a sex addict. It was filled in his life and in his relationships. John Newton, who wrote a number of hymns that we sing in the church, he was a slave trader. Who can't God use? Last week, Aaron talked about that art form, uh, kintsugi, right? The bowl that was filled with the gold, right? It put together the cracks. Maybe you feel like that bowl, cracked, broken. Jesus' ascension means he comes to you today and he says, I am that gold filling you. I've created you for this great purpose. You are just the person that I need to be my advocate, be my witness in your circle. Will you restore the kingdom, Jesus? No. No, you will be my witnesses. You will do greater things. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that today you would make known this reality to us, that your Spirit has been given to us. We ask that you would strengthen us by this knowledge, knowing that we, we have dignity and value. We're not defined by the things that have uh, uh, marred our past, not by our mistakes. You're making us into a new creation. And Jesus, we pray that you would open up our eyes by the power of your Spirit to do what feels impossible, maybe even forgiving that wound that we carry. Maybe that feels impossible. It is without you, Jesus, but you are with us. You've given us your Spirit. Send us out like your disciples, filled with joy and the knowledge that you are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.